thing that's coming up, we had a baseball game that we went together as a community. And、uh, it was an opportunity for us to bring our, have our friends come and meet the rest of us. So when they want to join us in any other occasions, it becomes more and more comfortable. And we had a great、uh, opportunity to get to know、uh, Nikki's family more and meet some of the Personius' other family、um, and got to hang out together. And I think one of the other events that's going to be really good for this would be the picnic. The picnic that we, church picnic we have on Sunday, this is August 17. Most of you have been to it. Lots of Korean barbecue.、Uh, it's hard to, you know, everyone loves Korean barbecue, especially Luis. <laughs>、uh, it's at the park, so bring your family, even if your family, what? Church event? But yeah, just come have a car, you know, Korean galbi barbecue and hang out. And,、uh, so I'd love to see some of your family and friends come. Uh, last year was great. We saw Bach's family and we saw Nikki's cousins and, you know, Jawei. And、um, so we hope to see more of your family. You know, talk, Larry definitely would love to see. Oh, that'll be in Taiwan. Unfortunately.、Uh, <laughs> and Mayo, Mayo's sister. <coughs> That's. <laughs> the mystery person. Yeah. And、uh, you guys too, you know? <laughs> Bring your dad. <laughs> Or your mom, right?、Um, so, all your friends, okay? So, let it be an opportunity. We don't do a whole lot of this because we don't want to be a church that does a whole lot of events and focused on that. But we do these things. So, it's a, it's a collective effort to engage, allow each other to engage on those that you're reaching out to, those you want to. To get to know the community and through community get to know Christ. So, we may do this five or six of them yearly, you know, the picnic and Thanksgiving and Christmas and baseball game, and that might be it, you know, or maybe hiking event or whatever. So, so we only do few, so let's take advantage. Okay,、uh, let's go ahead and dive into what we are going to study today. We're continuing from last week,、uh, Luke chapter 20. And we're diving into Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21 is known to be one of the most controversial and difficult、uh, chapters to interpret、uh, because Jesus talks a lot about end times and yeah,、um, you, know, what the, what, you know, what the end times are going to be like, apocalypse and all of that. But what I saw in this text is Jesus more of continuing on from what he was talking about from verse chapter 20, verse 41. So we'll cover some of the three or four verses that we did last week, but we didn't cover efficiently.、Uh, so we'll do that and we'll continue on until verse 19. And、um, the chapter 21 is going to close out with more of a talk about what the end time is going to be like, especially for Jerusalem and the temple. And in chapter 22, we're going to move on to the Last Supper. So we are almost done. We're three chapters away from finishing Luke. It's been, I don't know, how long has it been? A while. <laughs> almost, almost two years of Luke.、Um, and、uh, I'm still contemplating on what, what I would、uh, preach out of next one. So be surprised. <laughs> You'll be surprised on that. Okay, so let's go ahead and read、uh, verse. 41, and we're going to move on to、uh, chapter 21, 1 through 19. Verse 
Then he said to them, How can they say that the Messiah is David's son? David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies your footstool. David does call from the Lord, So how can he be his son? In the hearing of all the hearing of all the people he said to the in the hearing of all the people he said to the disciples Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearances they say long prayers. They will receive the greater con- condemnation. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. Some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. He said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, what will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear the wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, and the end will not fall immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nations, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines in place, and there will be dreadful accordance and great signs from heaven. <laughs> but before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you the words and wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you give us knowledge and wisdom, knowledge to understand your words and wisdom to apply to our lives. Help us to know you so that we know who we are, so that we can live our lives for you. We pray that words we are going to study would convict our hearts, restore our minds and hearts, that we would desire to be changed and be different and do better. For your sake and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so we start with the question. We're going to follow up with the question what Jesus said to the disciples or the people there around. He said, how can the Lord be David's son? Right? That's what That was the question. And we talked a little bit about that. How can the Lord who is... How can David, who is the ancestors, be a lord over descendant, who, who is Jesus? But David clearly quotes that this is the Lord. The Lord will be Lord, even though he is my descendant. So what it's saying, basically, in Jesus in pointing this out, he's not asking a complicated theological question or how to calculate it. What he's saying is basically, things are not what they seem, is what he's saying. 
God's ways are different and God's the way that God views things are different and it's better, right? So that's kind of what we've been talking about, what Jesus had been talking all along. You expect these things, but what we would what God would provide for you, the ways of God is different. What appears is different than what you think compared to what is truly in God's view. The measurement of our world, the way we measure, such as descendants, is less than ancestors, is not what is true to God. Jesus is both David's son and David's Lord. Things are not what things are not what they seem. So that's it. So Jesus goes on to give some examples of that. And that's what we see. So we got three examples that Jesus gives. First is about scribes. You know, Pharisees and law teachers of law and all of them, right? We, we've heard a lot about them. And Jesus goes on again. This is now, by this time, we're familiar with this. He says, long robes and greeted with respect and holds the best seats in the church and synagogues and in parties, sits in the best places. And they pray really long prayers and they sound really articulate and you know, knowledgeable and holy and all of that. That's what they seem, right? They seem respected. They seem honored. They seem like a holy people. But Jesus said, beware. He says, what is true is that these people, is despite what they seem, they're terrible people. They use people. Um, they use poor people like widows for their gain. They're evil. They're self-centered. They're attention-grabbing. And they're, they're the one who's um, for their own, using people for their own gain. And Jesus said they will receive the greater condemnation. So he says, things are not what they seem. Look at these people. So think of us. You know, we envy respected people, successful people, career-wise, and uh, in, in relationships, and, you know, we respect, you know, other Steve Jobs kind of people, and knowledgeable people, and are they really what they seem? Are they really what they seem? think part of that, well, we think politicians, we don't think highly of politicians, we don't think highly of church leaders either nowadays, uh, because thanks to tabloids, we kind of know what they are, uh, we have seen what they are. But yet, even so, we respect, we honor, we envy these people, because of what they seem, measured by the well, how we think measure things in the world. So Jesus said, beware, things are not what they seem. Number two, his example is rich people versus poor, poor widow says in verse 21, people are giving money in the treasury. So the place this is held is in synagogues and in, in tabernacle, in temple where Jesus is. It's, a, it's a, a courtyard for women. And there are treasury where the, you deposit offerings and gifts. And they are in shape of trumpet. So there are seven of these in shape of trumpet. And all different types of trumpets have, have uh, uh, the the distinction of where the money will go to, whether it's temple, um, you know, figs, whether it's for the, you know, different events and different things, it'll have it. So people will come and drop their offerings. It's not like we put it in an envelope or a different church, PayPal or what we do. You draw, drop your coins and more you have, what will it happen? More sound you make, right? If you deposit bigger things, bigger coins, more coins, think of like Coinstar. When someone's dropping a lot of coins in Coinstar and like Lucky and Safeway, you hear like So more you drop, more people hear. And people say, wow, look at that person. He's giving a lot. Right? So he's Jesus' companion. Look at these rich people. They're giving and they're giving a lot. 
some of us are familiar with this if you know like some of the great donors who give a lot to the church like young life donors who give millions there are people who give a lot and people notice and there's this widow say he who gave two copper coins copper coin is what they're referring to is a jewish coin lapta is what it's called it's a jewish coin it's the least of values in comparison to a few other coins that we mentioned last week like roman empire the um other denarius and it's the least amounts and he, she gave two and there's a reason why she gave two because in the book not in the bible but in the book of laws and different things it says you will not go to temple and give just one copper coin so what she's doing is i cannot possibly give one copper coin so she's giving two because <laughs> she doesn't seem like i'm giving i'm breaking the law i'm doing i'm appearing like a poor which is you know she's pretty poor so she gave two. So she, what she's doing is she's doing least that's required, but she's giving it all. So rich seems to have given a lot, but in truth, in God's measurement, the widow gave more. And he, Jesus said he gave more than everyone combined. Because, verse 44 says, For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. See, rich left still being rich the widow left having nothing left so it'll say uh, it's not what you gave but what you left with in the measurement of god's kingdom so that's challenging obviously and uh there's a way that we you know matt and steve obviously you guys know some of you guys know is the you know master of fundraising and there, the phrase that sort of it's just like Matt thing Matt came up with, and the, when we when he asked for donation from people, he would say, "Give what impacts the ministry, and what challenges you." Because you could give, you know, as much as that impacts, but doesn't challenge you. If a millionaire gave ten thousand dollars, right? It may impact the ministry, but it doesn't challenge him in any way. We have donors. I know the donors who have accountants run through his money, take out the percentage that tax works out tax deductible, and by the percentage that he's given, would just send checks to different donations, right? Different, you know, charities and churches and whatnot. I mean, it, he doesn't even know in most part. Say, so, oh, just tell me, I'll just send this number to my accountant. It gives no impact to him, no challenge. So Jesus challenges, it's not what it seems, rich seems to give a lot, but it's not what it's given, but what is you're left with. And you know, in comparison, we still honor and we are still envy the rich, right? We want to be, we honor the rich and famous because again, the measurement of this world, we see them, look at them, they have a lot, they give a lot, they do a lot, we envy them. But things are not what they seem. It's upside down measurement by God. Third example Jesus gave is temple. There is this magnificent temple. And Jesus is staring at it. And there are a lot of people there. People tour. They journey weeks to get to it just to see the temple. And they marvel at the temple. And temple is like no other. I can't possibly come up with something that are compared to the temple, it means everything to these people, right? This is the center of holy, the center of where God is, center of religion, center of economic economy, center of, you know, uh, politics. It's center of everything. And temple is huge and it's beautiful. 
It talks about the gift. There's gold everywhere. There's a golden gate. We think of golden gate. It's not really golden gate. The golden gate at the temple is literally golden gate. The gate is gold, made out of gold, right? And there are jewels everywhere given by other kings and people. And it, it is most magnificent looking building. There is nothing like it, nothing of this value, and people come marveling. I don't know what we can compare in our days, like White House, <laughs> or, you know, our, what do we, what can we compare to? Golden Gate Bridge? Like, what do you try to show to people when people come to San Francisco? Palace of Fine Art, <laughs> City Hall, City Hall. Oh, city, yeah, City Hall is pretty magnificent, right? You think of it like if you're in English, Buckingham Palace, it's awesome, right? White House or whatever, right? The Lincoln Memorial, it's even far meaningful than that to people, and they can't imagine this thing being destroyed because it's God's temple. They can't believe this thing being meaning less than. What it's supposed to mean. But despite what it seems, Jesus says, it'll be destroyed to pieces. Nothing will be left. Verse 6, it said, not one stone will be left upon another, or will be thrown down. And in AD 70, we, I repeated this over and over, it came true when Romans came and destroyed the whole temple. And the whole temple literally was destroyed. Nothing was left, stone. The only thing that remained was substructure, that was outside the temple, and one of the pieces of wall that remained, and they have it in Israel still, it's called the Wailing Wall. They're still crying for the destruction of the temple, 2,000 years later. That's the only thing that remained, not even the temple, just the Wailing Wall. And you will see, if you ever go to Israel, people would write their prayers and fold it, and they'll stick it in the, you know, the between the stones, and they do their... Orthodox Jew thing. Um, I told Rob, and if you're all following Rob on yeah. Instagram, I told Rob, go in front of a wailing wall and smile and take a selfie. <laughs> he did it. So you see the picture that Rob is doing selfie in front of a wailing wall. But I told him to laugh and like smile, be silly. But I guess he didn't. And people, I've been there, and people are really strict in how you behave at that place. Because this is a holy site. Now imagine, 2,000 years later, a piece that's not even part of the temple, but was sort of sub-part of it, is left, and people are still crying over it, and people are trying to monitor and making, making sure everyone's behaving properly and holy. Imagine what it meant when the temple stood 2,000 years ago. And Jesus said, everything will be destroyed. And you think of temple. Temple is antithesis of Jesus. Temple is against everything Jesus says who he is. So temple has to be destroyed in order for Jesus to be vindicated. So he said everything will be dis- destroyed. Human achievement, beautiful monument we see, and the things they marvel at, things they think is indestructible. Again, God's measurement correcting the one of this world. Things are not what they seem. So Jesus goes on and gives these examples, and naturally the disciples ask in verse 7, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? So they're asking, obviously, about the destruction of the temple. When will this be? But we, 2,000 years later, obviously is thinking about the end of the world. Ooh, Jesus says he's going to say something about the end of the world because they said signs. What signs will be given? That's what we get off on. Ooh, signs. Signs of the end of the world. So is this about apocalypse? 
you know, the end of thing, end of the world, eschatology, that's the fancy word, and church's word for end of the world, apocalypse. Well, we're going to continue on next week, and we're going to see that it's kind of the both. There's a part that Jesus mentions about to the disciples, but there's also a part that Jesus mentions about the His coming and what it happened at the end of this world. And it kind of means both, and we kind of we need to take both because it also matters to us. It's relevant to us. Um, so Jesus said, "Here are the signs." He answers them. He says, "Here are the signs." Number one, he says, "Many will come in my name and say, I am He, and the time is near." <laughs> nah, <laughs> really, right? We've never heard that, right? We've never seen anyone do that, right? Um, and it's funny, history records as late as AD 120, there was a Jewish guy who was approved by the synagogue, some synagogues and some rabbis and things that claimed to be Messiah up until AD 120. And they stopped doing that. Um, they couldn't do it anymore. So, But today, I mean, we all know, right? There's so many people still claiming that they're Jesus. And, you know, the time is near, right? The Mormonism, the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, um, he said the conclusion of his life, 1891, will be the end of the world. Ellen White, the Seventh-day Adventist, uh, she found it. She said repeatedly predicted the end of the world throughout her life. <laughs> 1914, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, claimed that this is the end of the world. Um, and some Christian you know, authors and writers and some radio talk show hosts and different things like you know, Hal Lindsey and Jack Van Imp, they keep on predicting the end of the world. Um, Harold Camping, recently, as recently as 1994, predicted to be end of the world. Obviously, that didn't happen, so he predicted again in May 11, 2011. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't happen. So we see this happen over and over. Time people predicting that certain time is the end of the world, and people too, they claim them, themselves to be Messiah. There's a guy who was named Arnold Potter. He claimed himself to be Potter Christ, son of the living God. He had followings, right? Uh, famous guy, Sam Young Moon, the Korean guy. Uh, Unification Church, right? He claims to be the second resurrection of Jesus, to be Messiah. Uh, there's a lot. The Heaven's Gate cult leader, Marshall Applewhite. Um, we know a lot about, we heard a lot about David Koresh. Right? And the branch David, David, Davidian cult in Waco, Texas. Right? He said he's the second Messiah. He's the son of the Lamb of God. And he had everybody in his compound and killed themselves, including himself. Right? 51 adults and 21 children. Most recently, there's a guy named Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda in South Florida. And he is a growing following. His cult name is Growing in Grace. And he says, I'm even better than Messiah that came 2,000 years ago. I'm the better second resurrected Messiah. So, you know, it's funny. But, you know, people follow them. So Jesus says, the point, his point is, don't follow them. But he also says, don't get astray. Don't get led astray. Don't get fixed on it. What he's saying is, don't pay attention to these things. And, but people do, Right? People do. People want to find out when is the end of the world. Who's the new Messiah? Who's going to be the great leader? Who's going to take us there? It's the Pope. Who's the you know the other side of who's the Antichrist, right? Who do we need to watch out for? Who's going to destroy the world and lead us to the end of the world? He says Jesus said, "Don't get fixed on it. Don't pay attention. Don't get led astray." 
Because we know, you know, we know enough. And what do we know? We know that we're not supposed to know, right? That's what we know. And only things we know is that Jesus is the Messiah. And there's no more revelation. No more revelation. Jesus was the perfect revelation. There need not be more revelation than what we have received perfectly, completely in Jesus. And there's no one knows when. Even Jesus said, I don't know. Only Father knows. No one will know when. Jesus said, don't follow them. Don't get led astray. Two. Say wars and insurrections, nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdom, great earthquakes and various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful uh, potents and great signs from heaven. Again, really? We haven't seen any of those happen, do we? It's, it's happened throughout the history, right? It's still happening. Earthquakes, famines, wars... A, a well-known, well-respected historian named Will Durant quoted, War is one of the constraints of history and has not diminished with civilization and democracy. In the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 of these years have been no war, have seen no war. Is there a war going on right now? Many, right? It's part of who we are, right? It's human history. But people panic whenever there's some kind of big war going to happen. This is going to be World War III, end of the world, right? Natural disaster. When there's tsunami, big earthquake, people say, oh no, the end of the world is here. Look at this Bible. It says there will be famines and earthquakes and all these things when the time is right. It seems like they forgot the most important part of what Jesus said, which is verse 9. He says, do not be terrified for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. <laughs> Say, don't pay attention to this thing. Don't be afraid. These are supposed to happen. These things are going to take place. Doesn't mean the end is going to follow immediately. He said, this is going to happen because, why? Because of sin in the world. We're not the only things, you know, creation that's cursed. It's the land that is cursed at the same time. The whole creation was cursed. That's why there's imbalance in the world, in the nature that creates natural disasters. But it doesn't mean that it's the end of the world yet. Number three, Jesus says persecution. His followers, obviously the disciples then, he says in verse 20, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons and they will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. Says the followers, the people who are there now will be persecuted by all people in synagogues, which is the center of all civil administration, you know, you go to court and you go to synagogues and you get flogged. You know, flogged means you get flogged 13 on the chest and whatever doesn't make out to be 40, right? In the back. You get flogged in synagogues. So you go to prison, right? Because you're about to get uh, prosecuted. In the ancient days, and you've seen this if you've seen any of the old movies, there are no prisons. The only reason for prison is the place you stay before you get prosecuted, right? You, you go to prison, you wait, and you go to the court, and your you know, judgment is either execution, <laughs> right, banishment, or losing a property or some part of your body, right? So you go to prison just to be waited for what's the worst thing, thing to come. No one stays in prison unless the king doesn't know what to do with you or has some better use of you than killing you. So you go to prison. And he says, Jesus said, 
you'll be pros- uh, persecuted by your own people. Kings is your own people, Jewish, right? Jews, your own people, and by Gentiles, the governors. And verse 16 says, You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And I think that sums it up in verse 17. You will be hated by all because of my name. Now, we know that this actually happened for all the disciples, right? All the disciples, they were persecuted. Most of them died, right? All of them died. Um, and we know a lot of this happened to first Christians in the first century. What about now? Does it happen now, the persecution? Do people die in the name of Jesus now? So. Estimated some number of 80,000 Christians die yearly because of the name of Jesus, right? You want to go to check it out, what's going on around the world in persecution? There's a website called persecution.com. You go there and you have an update on everything that's going on that is in the known in the in the world, there's a persecution going on still, more severely than ever. What about us who live comfortably in the United States? Now our persecution is different. Some people go through physical persecution, but our persecution may be different. It's rather socially and economical than physical persecution, where people get fired because of your faith. Um, you don't get promoted because of your faith. Right? You get dissed in your social group, like, we don't want to hang out with you, you're too churchy or Christian. Um, you don't get invited by your family, friends. Your family disown you. Um, you guys know Rob. Rob was close to being disowned when he was a Christian. And uh, please be praying for him. I, we forgot to pray for him uh, for his rest of this trip. His brother is close to coming to faith. And there's a guy who's been sharing faith with his brother, and they invited him to Israel and um, Rob said he's as good as family. Our persecution is different, but it's still there if we speak out, if we share our faith, right? But here's Jesus' point. He says all of that. You know, people will laugh at you, fire, fire you for us, or literally, you know, have a firing squad in front of you, or boot in your faith, and, you know, stone being thrown at you, slap in the face, spit it upon, and you know, prosecuted and gun pointed at, all of this will happen. And when this is happening, what is evaluation of this situation for Jesus? Our evaluation is, this is, we're doomed. I'm doomed. This is a dire situation, right? Oh no, things are not really going well. People are hitting them, you know, hitting me. I mean, you know, about to get killed, gun pointed at me. People are laughing at me. This is not a good situation. And Jesus says, his evaluation of this particular situation that we might be in is great. He says in verse 13, this will give you an opportunity to testify. He says, that's the best moment for you to testify. It's an opportunity for you to testify. I share with you the song um, that was done by uh, Third Day uh, in the newsletter. It's called the Hold, Hold My Head High. I think that's the title of the song. And uh, talks about how, you know, being ostracized and being kicked at and being ousted out and, you know, all of that. And he said, you know, they may throw me out or throw in. They may do all of these things, but I would turn all of that into a song for you. All our difficult situation can be our story, can be a song to tell about God's grace and God's mercy. Third Day is the first Christian concert that I've ever been to at Great America, right? And this is when I just kind of got captured my heart and I was excited about 
Jesus. I couldn't care less about Christian band or anything. I would, would not want to be caught dead in a Christian concert. Right? But this was the first one. And I went, and this was the concert. They did their worship album, which was their first worship album. It was great. <laughs> it was so good. It was, and then I went to you know, um, the Lyrics concert. It was even better. It's a great song. And you think about it. Every opportunity, every hardship we get can be our story, can be the best opportunity to tell people. Someone asks you, how are you? Well, this happened, you know, this terrible thing happened, but let me tell you my joy in these things that have happened because of who Jesus is and what Jesus, the relationship that I have with Jesus. It says it's an opportunity for us. So, that's what we have in our text. It's a nice teaching. It's a nice sermon. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I left blank at that because I'm thinking, so what? I think it's safe to say it's fairly irrelevant for us. And the fault is at us. And here's the daunting thing. When Jesus speaks these things, It's supposed to be the words of comfort for us. But it's meaningless for us. And he speaks about where we are. He's saying these things to his followers to comfort them. But we're not comforted. We're thinking, okay, that's nice. Because we're not in these situations. Look at our lives. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? How can we make this relevant to us where we read this? We study this together and we are comforted. Say, look, Jesus said it's the best opportunity. Jesus said not a hair on our body will be touched. He'll protect us. He'll give us words to say when we are cornered in. But we're never cornered in. Hardly ever. Who have you? Raise your hand if you have been cornered in if you have been persecuted because of the name of Jesus in past year? I haven't. I mean, someone, you know, I haven't. I don't even wear Young Life (laughs) t-shirts. What about you guys? It's irrelevant. And it speaks where we are. And it leads us to reflect on and say, what are we doing? Are we truly, can we truly call ourselves followers of Christ? When the words of God, comforting words of God, means no comfort. So, as a community, you guys, I need, I feel that we need to wake up. You know, you know the, you know what is the characteristic of dying church? Is having old ladies who is faithfully attending, giving faithfully, but doing nothing outside the church. Right? And you see that. You go to some of the old churches and you see these ladies, they're faithful. And they're faithfully giving. They have their legacy funds ready in their will. They're going to give it all to Jesus. But they don't have anybody else to inspire them, work them. They're not doing anything. They're not being effective because they're like young people and all of that. But Look, I'm really thankful that all of us, and when I look at the attendance sheet, and if you want to look at your attendance and our attendance as a community, let me know. I can give you the link. Um, and let you view it, we're doing great. <laughs> Attendance-wise, we're doing great. This is what I hope for, and all of you are giving faithfully. 
this is great. And I'm not minimizing that. I think that's great. That's where we want to be. But we can still diminish. Even at that. Unless we go out and serve God as we should. We can still diminish. We can come together faithfully, give faithfully, and yet do nothing. We have no impact in our lives. I think we need to wake up. Because when I look at the attendance, there's us who's always attending, and there's about 16 of us, barely missing any. We're all good. There are three names <laughs> that are there that we're praying for, and, and these are people who really doesn't, you know, and we don't consider them as, you know, Evan, Raymond, and Justin. And that's it. And they've been on that list for a couple of years. We haven't added anyone to that number. We have some guests, but not enough, not frequent enough have they attended that we need to, we can pray for them. Now have we mentioned names and brought anybody in our prayer request to that I'm reaching out to these people. That we, I want to pray, please pray for me. We need to wake up. We need to wake up where God's words become comforting words to us instead of being irrelevant. So, I studied through this and I was trying to make it relevant for us to speak and I realized I can't try to make what is not true. It's irrelevant for us because of where we are. What can we do to change? What can we do to bring life to the community? What can we do to change, make changes in our lives that the words of comfort becomes actually comforting for us. You know, we can been talking about, we talk about loving God and serving God. Do you know what that means? How do you serve God? What have you done to serve God? And the answer lies right here. What did Jesus do? Jesus said, I'm living his life. He said, Lord, Father, be glorified. Your name be glorified. And what did Jesus do? He died for people, for us. He served people. He loved on people. Question in our lives. Well, I want to love God. I want to glorify God. I want to serve God. But how do I do it? Do what Jesus did. Make sacrifice for people around you. Love people around you. Serve people around you. And when they know that you worship God, you love God, then God will be glorified. That's not what we're doing. I mean, if we do, only at our comfort level. When it fits me. When it works for me. And you know, I'm included in that. We need to do more if we are truly following Jesus, and if following Jesus means anything more than, oh, my salvation, then we need to do more. We need to not only reflect on what Jesus has done for us, but only also what Jesus calls us to do. Let me pray, and we'll reflect more on that. Jesus, We pray that that your words of comfort will convict us to reflect more deeply. That we have not enough, 
made sacrifice for your sake. We have not loved people enough, especially those who don't know you. We have neglected our duties. And I pray that you give us courage. You give us conviction and burden to actually do something about it. And I pray that your spirit will remind us in the moments in our lives, in, the, in our daily, with our family or friends and work and school, that there's something I need to do. I need to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.